God on the move. And uh, I, I invited one of the pastors, the white pastor, to preach for those people. He preached a very good salvation message, and I was touched. But when we do the altar call, I have done the altar call, and one of the community leaders stood and said, no, you cannot say raise your hands until you tell us which one is Jesus among the two white people. You can imagine, there are villages who never heard about Jesus. Ethiopia, the second most populated country in Africa, surrounded by Sudan, Eritrea and Djibouti in the north, South Sudan in the west, Somalia in the east and Kenya in the south. Ethiopia is officially a Christian country. However, believers who aren't part of the traditional Ethiopian Orthodox Church suffer severe persecution. In this episode of God on the Move, we share testimonies that include stories of persecution that may not be suitable for children and parental guidance is recommended. If you are listening with children or are sensitive to content describing violence, we suggest skipping this episode. You are listening to God on the Move, a Lausanne Movement podcast. And this is a story about the miraculous work of God in Ethiopia. The voice you heard earlier was Allah Yudubale. He's the leader of Global Call, a missions organization that, inspired by Acts 13 47, seeks to serve as God's hand and feet for the churches of Africa to reach every unreached village in the region, making disciples of Jesus and providing social care that brings holistic transformation. To protect his family, Alayu and his family moved to the US, but their love for Jesus and their call to proclaim the gospel in Africa always remained. And here is his story. I came to know the Lord while I was 12 years old. I was so young, but the situation was, I was so afraid of hell where, when I hear the gospel from uh, American missionaries, they came to my village and told me about Jesus and hell, but I, have, I was not convicted the same day, but I went home and I couldn't sleep because of my fear for hell. The next day I went back to the missionaries and asked, I couldn't sleep, what shall I do? So they told me about Christ and gave that my life for Jesus in that day. And the next day there was overflowing joy and an endless sleep. <laughs> then immediately I start to bring my classmates, my friends, and uh, start to preach the gospel and teach my classmates. And I believe that I have started my first church while I was 12 years old. I was preaching, I was teaching, and then God has called me while I was young to start churches. And now I'm here planting churches across the, the globe, not only Africa, but I'm planting a church in Denver. And persecution, especially during communism, I couldn't actually carry my Bible. If I need to share my faith, I have to write the verse in my arm and cover with a long sleeve so that they don't see what I'm writing and go to a river with a few friends and share our faith in the river, pretending that we are washing our leg or doing something in the river. It was so hard during communism. There was no church, there was no any Bible. You cannot carry any Bible. So we have to share our faith, our, our Bible with our hands. But I was in prison for preaching the gospel. My wife was imprisoned preaching the gospel. And I'm not sure my mom and my sister were killed 
because we were preaching the gospel. So my mom and my sister and two brothers were together outside of our home in the dark. In the country, there is no power. And we were very aggressive in preaching the good news in uh, the community. And some community members were very aggressive and they hate us. I would believe that night someone that hates our religion, our faith, killed mom and my sister. It's painful. 15 years, it was 15 years ago. But we have now started a new church in our home village. We have a church where my mom and my sister is killed right now. So I have been in ministry for the last 27 years, focusing on church planting, leadership development, and disciple making. My organization has planted over 9,000 churches in the last 27 years. But those churches are actually tripled and they have grown so much in Ethiopia, South Sudan, and Uganda. We actually are in the thermal region. Islam is working towards taking over Ethiopia and some East African nations. Not only Islam, but even the Coptic Orthodox Church is persecuting evangelicals for the last decades. And we have seen so much persecution when we do our church plant. The Muslims, they don't have the reason. No? They hate Jesus. The Coptic Orthodox Church, they, they don't hate Jesus because we have a different approach about Jesus. We say we, Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is our life. But they say the angels and the saints are our mediators. So they hate us because we are taking their people. They, they hate us because we are drawing people to Christ. And most of the born-again Christians come from the Orthodox Church. That's why they hate us. We are drawing people from, we are draining that church. So they hate us. And we have different dialogues about Jesus, but they don't believe that Jesus is uh, our mediator. They think that Jesus is God and with whom he can mediate if he is God. They believe he died for our sins. They believe he shed for our sins, but they don't believe that he is in God's throne to mediate for us, to intercede for us. That's that is the main cause of conflict. But the problem is that it synchronized the, the religion. They believe in magic, even the liturgy. The priests believe in magic, sorcery, and they don't focus on Jesus. Instead, they focus on their own religion and traditional books instead of the Bible. That's the cause of the conflict. I have seen my church planters slaughtered. I knew congregations killed that we started. Our church burned down. In 2023 alone, we had 27 pastors killed. Just this year, we have lost 27 pastors. And you can imagine how it is so hard for the family, especially the widow and the kids. So we try to intervene to sustain the family, helping them to start their own business or something like that. Especially the pastors in Africa, they, they are not independent. They are under their denomination. All the local churches have their own uh, denominations. And uh, when uh, he lose, when a church lose the pastor, the church suffers, the church struggles, because they have to find another person through the denomination to minister to them. So churches are burned down. 2017, we had 34 churches burned down. We have rebuilt seven of them, but we couldn't continue rebuilding the rest because of financial constraints. You can imagine when a church is burned down, the congregation is scattered. They couldn't come together until we intervene and find a way to meet. When we rebuild the church, it's not just rebuilding some kind of building. It is just 
reviving the congregation to continue the ministry in that village and uh, bringing the community together. Sometimes the conflicts are tribal. You can imagine in a village that we had five tribes, we went to do ministry, help them to come again to the church. We rebuilt the church, but it is so hard for the congregation to come together because one tribe killed the other, one tribe persecuted the other. So it was so hard. We have to do a leadership and trauma healing training before we even start the church because there is already conflict among the brothers because of the tribal crisis that brings the killing of people. So we have done the trauma healing, the reconciliation, and then even when the congregation comes together, which tribe can preach? Which pastor from which tribe can preach? Everyone is afraid of one another. So we have to do the trauma healing first, the reconciliation first, before even we continue to thrive the church. There are so many conflicts in Ethiopia right now, especially in Ethiopia. Sudan is a political crisis, but the Ethiopia is political as well as religious. The persecutors use the political crisis to destroy the church. They feel it is a fertile ground to destroy the church where tribes have a conflict because of political reasons. Ethiopia is 45% is Coptic Orthodox, 30% is Muslim, nearly 30% is Evangelical. It was 5.7 in 2007, 5.7 2007. You can imagine how the evangelical churches in Ethiopia grew in 30 years. It's, it's exploding. And at the same time, there is persecution. At the same time, we lack Bibles. Bibles are not printed in Ethiopia. We have to print in the UK and ship to Ethiopia. Right now, there are several ministries doing ministry in East Africa. In my ministry alone, 1.2 million people came to faith, but I couldn't provide enough Bibles, even to the new converts, not alone the unrich people groups. Despite of the persecution, Ethiopia got under communism for 10 years, from 74 to 91, and we, were, we went underground 1 million Christians. There was no Bible, there was no church, there was none. And our pastors migrated to Europe and the U.S. 1 million Christians, 1974, went underground. The whole world was not even recognizing that we were persecuted by communists. We were persecuted. We were imprisoned. But in 1991, we have got a, a relative freedom. And we went out five million from underground. Any persecution couldn't stop the fire, the gospel. Any persecution couldn't. And then 1991, we came out five million. And uh, we had a relative freedom. And we be able to plant thousands and thousands of churches in 1991, we were 3.5%, and today we are 25%, 25 to 27%. Because the church in, in Ethiopia has got that freedom to take the good news to our rich people groups. And that was the time, actually, I was one of the church planters in 1996 to go to an people group and have established this ministry called Ethiopian Call to reach the East African region. And uh, we were to plant churches in South Sudan, Uganda, part of Kenya and Ethiopia before I moved in 2015. And I have continued that ministry still today. I came actually last week uh, from Ethiopia. I was there in the East African region for three months doing ministry. When Alayi and his wife Yigili and the five children moved to the United States in 2015, Global Call was established. Ever since, he's been going back and forth in order to advance the mission's work and to raise church planters. 
All glory be to God that despite the persecution, the church in Ethiopia is still growing exponentially. Just thinking about the sheer amount of people behind the number and statistics, all beautifully created in the image of God. Each one of them is a miracle and a testimony that Jesus is alive and that he reigns. But at the same time, the persecution is real and far more shocking than one would ever begin to imagine. The joy and the trauma often seem to go hand in hand, just as the next story show. One time we had a church planter planting a new church. He was a 23 years old boy, but he passed through our training and he was inspired to go to a Muslim village and started to preach the gospel. And he found one Muslim guy who was mad, crazy, and he prayed for him. Even that mad guy stays overnight in the tree because of the spirit. But his, this guy, this 23-year-old boy, prayed for that Muslim and he was healed. And he came to faith. His family came to faith. He was his first convert. And then that guy said, I don't want to go to mosque. And he was convinced that this is what he has to follow. Jesus is what he has to follow. And the Muslim leaders came and asked him, if you don't come on Wednesday, we will come after you on Friday. You have to come to mosque on Wednesday. And he didn't go to mosque Wednesday. They, after their prayer on Friday, they came to his house. He had eight kids and his wife stand over there and they slaughtered him in front of his family. And we have planted in that area, we have planted 23 churches. They couldn't stop the gospel, as Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The church is growing. We grow when they persecute us, but we have to intervene. We have to help. We have, we have to displace those families to another city. We have to take them to another city and establish a new life. And that needs our intervention. We built their homes, we started a small business for them, and they are safe. But after that, the church planters stayed there, and we have planted 23 churches in that area. It is too much, but we have to integrate preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel has to have a holistic approach. I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the agent of holistic transformation. Gospel has to bring a holistic transformation, redemptive lift in every village. We know that. But we have to intervene and help and stand with the Church of God so that they can try and continue preaching the, the good news. Yeah, I have so many witnesses, but the persecution is still there. If we say relative freedom, it is relative. But three means Orthodox as well as Muslims use to destroy the church. And recently we had a persecution in one of the regions. The Muslims came out and they said, we have to destroy the Orthodox church because they should not be here. And they destroyed the Orthodox Church, but they destroyed also our churches. It's very tricky. The Orthodox, when I tell uh, Americans the Orthodox is persecuting uh, Christians, they are disappointed, but I cannot help them. I was taken to prison by the Orthodox priest. My wife was in chains by the Orthodox priests. The government also supports them in specific areas. The government also supports them. The police support them to persecute us. They have such power even to the range that they can take us to prison. The tricky thing is the Orthodox says Muslims are our brothers, Christians, evangelicals are our enemies in Ethiopia. And how can you say that they are, they are doing this with a purpose? Because they are disappointed that we are taking their people to the good news, to the, to the kingdom. There are open doors, there is persecution. There are persecutions, but the church is growing tremendously. And I can tell you how God opened the door. 
in one of the training that Taleb and I was leading, we had this Reformed priest, Orthodox priests training. The Orthodox, as I have told you, that they don't believe Jesus is our mediator. He's not our intercessor. They don't even give a focus on Jesus in, the, in their churches. They preach Mary, they preach the angels, they preach Paul, they preach Peter, whatever, but they don't preach Jesus. And we had this strategy of reaching the Orthodox liturgy, the Orthodox priests. And in our even, uh, leadership training with Caleb, we have about 171 liturgies going through the training that Leadership International is offering. But in this training that we had last month, we invited 110 priests to come. And we believe that those priests are saved and they are working with us underground to reach the Orthodox Church. But they have invited other 70 priests and leaders and teachers to see our training, to attend our training. And 43 of those leaders gave their life immediately there. So, I mean, these leaders have probably one may have 1,000, 3,000 people under his leadership. He is the angel of that community. They respect him. They hear what he says. So now we are pursuing to train these priests to understand the gospel and to preach the gospel for their people. When they are persecuted from the Coptic Church, Orthodox Church, we establish a contextualized church that looks like European Orthodox so that we can draw many people. And we are doing that right now. They can stay for as far as they are not persecuted. They are persecuted. We have a church for them so that they don't be afraid, neglected, and, and so that they can be strong in their faith. So that's just one sample. But I have seen for the last three months, I have seen over 17,000 people heard the good news and over 3,000 came to faith in the last three months in East Africa, like uh, South Sudan, Uganda, and Ethiopia. But we have to tackle the persecution. As Allah, you mentioned above, spreading the gospel in a situation like this simply cannot stop at preaching with words. Situations like this reveal just how true verses like James 2, 15-17 really are. Here it says, Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Yes, people do need Jesus and need to hear the gospel preached. But true healing and freedom can only be found in Jesus through a holistic ministry. How can we tackle the persecution? We have to intervene in trauma healing training. Some of the churches were closed for two years because of war and persecution. Those pastors, they have no congregation, they have no money, they don't have any credit card that as we do. So they struggle for two, three years without any help from their denomination, from their, their local church. So one of the things we, we have to focus and we are convinced is we have to do trauma healing training for the pastors so that they can go back and go to their congregation, their people, the raped women, and help them to be healed. So that we need healing, actually, reconciliation, healing. So we focus on training the pastors so that they can go back and train their leaders and train their people to be healed. The other thing is we want to intervene immediately when they lose everything. You can imagine that their house is burned down. They are running. The moms have their kids in their bag and running, and their kids were watching their homes in fire. The mother was running with their kids, but the, when the kids uh, look back, 
they see their homes in fire. And the trauma, the cries that we have seen is such a, a terrible thing that we, we can see. So we intervene on feeding, bringing blankets for some time, at least three, four months, six months, until they settle back to their homes. So we feed them, we give them what they need, but we also work on helping sustainability so that they can come back to home. We re may rebuild their homes, may, we may rebuild their churches so that they can be. Sometimes people are, re they don't want to go back because of that trauma. But when we intervene and help them, train them, and help rebuild their homes and their businesses, they are encouraged to come back and continue in the church. So we, we have been doing this for so long, and sometimes shortages are there, but we are still intervening to help our churches. Three months ago, I had a church planter who planted 14 churches. He was in my trainings and some people came with their gun and they asked him to give them the money of the church. And he said, I don't have the money. It's not in my hand. There is a treasure that holds the money. It's not my responsibility to have that money. And they said, it is your responsibility. If you don't bring the money, we are going to kill you. And if you carry that, that Bible and if you call the name of Jesus, we are going to kill you. So he was calling the name of Jesus and uh, carrying the Bible. And they came another day and they tied him at his hand and leg and they tied his wife and they tied his kids and they let them watch what is going to happen. And they collected wood and accumulated on his body and they put a kerosene and burned him down and changed it to ash. Just four months ago, the kids were there. The mom was looking that's happening. Not only those just five, six people, but the whole community is in trauma. They need healing. They need help. They need. We are in a very critical situation, especially in Ethiopia, because Muslims, as well as Orthodox, use those political reasons to, to destroy God's kingdom and God's people. We are praying with this 27 years of ministry. I have seen that when the church planters are killed, the church grow in numbers and in quality. And we are, I always say, we are in a very urgent Macedonian call. Come and help us. The doors are open because of conflicts, because of war, because of drought, everything. People are struggling and they need a solution. And they prefer to go to church at this time for their stress, for their crisis. Jesus is the only solution. And we have just the chance to bring the good news to the people who are stressful, who are displaced. And everywhere we do relief, we preach the gospel. We do an altar call. We distribute Bibles. This is a great chance, actually. Every crisis has a negative impact on the people, but there is an opportunity for the church to preach the gospel. That, that's what I'm doing right now in all the countries that I'm involved in ministry, especially the Ethiopian situation. We have 5 million people displaced because of their faith or because of war. And we are intervening in every location to use the tools to preach the gospel. Our tools is maybe wheat, flour, or oil, but we are bringing the good news to the, the, the refugees. Last week, I have sent a relief to the refugee camp and started feeding the, the refugee kids. Every week, they come to the church. 400 of them come to the church, and we feed them. We preach them. 90% of them are Muslims. And 108 of them gave their life in our feeding program. And 42 are under our uh, discipleship class right now. 
So every tools that we use, I don't want just give money or just wheat flour and leave. I want to use that opportunity to bring Jesus to their life. And now we began to distribute the Bibles to the refugees. As I have said, 90% of them, the refugees are Muslims and they are accepting our Bible. And there will be persecution, yes. When we feed 400 kids, even 90% of our, them are Muslims. And the refugee uh, campers were not even accusing us. They were happy. But the city is dominated by the Orthodox. The Orthodox came to the church and destroyed the church because of our feeding. We are feeding Muslims, but because they were disappointed that we are bringing them to the church and preaching the gospel, the Orthodox came and persecuted the church. And one of the leaders were uh, my brother. He was in prison for 15 days for feeding Muslims and imprisoned by the Orthodox. The Orthodox should be our support to preach the gospel. But God is moving. We know that we lose big people because of persecution, but the gospel will continue. It's not new, and yet it surprises me every time I hear about regions where Christians suffer discrimination and persecution, and the church is still growing rapidly. On the other hand, in many other countries with true religious freedom, Christianity is in decline. Allah, you already mentioned the early church father, Tertullian, who said to the Roman Empire, we are not a new philosophy, but a divine revelation. That's why you can't just exterminate us. The more you kill, the more we are. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So I was curious and wanted to know from Alayi why he thinks the church in Ethiopia is still growing despite the persecution. I think uh, we have two or three factors. One is the church is a prayerful church. As I have told you, while we were under communism, we had underground church, a very strong prayer church. We were praying. You cannot gather 15, 20 people. You can gather just two, three people. And we were praying. So prayer is very key. Even Jesus said, we cannot take over a territory of someone if we don't bind the devil. So we have to pray strongly. The church in Ethiopia was prayerful. And that's one factor. The other factor was myself. I have trained 1,000 church planters just for one state and sent 1,000 church planters in a state and invaded that state for three years. With three years, we have planted over 3,000 churches because we focused intensively doing the ministry. So our Ethiopian church is very evangelistic church. We focus on evangelizing our community. When you support eva your evangelism with prayers, that bears fruit. So we are an evangelistic church. We send church planters. Most churches, especially in Europe and America, have been in America for eight years now, understood that they open their church and wait for people to come. That's not the biblical principle. The biblical principle is go and reach the world. So the Ethiopian church is a going church. We don't actually open our door. If we open our door 24-7, 365 days, no one comes to our church. We have to go and reach the unreach. So we are a going church. We send church planters and even our congregation go out and preach to their neighbors. We encourage that very much. That's actually a huge factor. Evangelistic. We have to be missional. We have to be evangelistic so that we can grow and thrive. When I finished seven years with 1,000 church planters, I moved to another region, another state, and sent another 1,000 church planters. Sending. 
it's not just waiting for people to come. We train and send to remote villages who never heard their name Jesus even once. Before we continue with the story, I want to let you know that we want to share mission stories from the Global Church with the Global Church. So if you have a story to share or know someone who might have, please contact us at podcast at lausanne.org. That is podcast at lausanne.org. There are thousands of villages in the UK as well as in the United States who may not know who Jesus is. I remember one time I took two Americans to a village. And that village, they have never seen a foreign person. They have never seen a white person. So maybe 3,000 gathered to watch <laughs> these two white people. And uh, I, I invited one of the pastors, the white pastor, to preach for those people. He preached a very good salvation message. And I was touched. But when we do the altar call, I have done the altar call. And one of the community leaders stood and said, oh, no, you cannot say raise your hands until you tell us which one is Jesus among the two white people. You can imagine there are villages who never heard about Jesus, who never knew about Jesus. I was broken, touched, and decided to preach again in their own language. And I started to preach the gospel again. So that, that was heartbreaking, and that was an awakening that there are villages, so many villages that never heard the name Jesus. I preached again, and all people raised their hands and came to faith. We have to send go so that we can be a growing church. If we just open our, lo our local churches, our building, and wait for people to come, even events, Christmas events, that's Thanksgiving events, Easter events, may not draw people to Christ. The right way to do mission is going, sending, and proclaiming the good news to the people. If you invite them for the event, they eat, enjoy, and go back. I see so many churches here in America, they invite for uh, Thanksgiving, and they distribute turkeys, whatever, food, so many things. They don't have a single time to proclaim Jesus. I, I'm so surprised. So many people come to the event to take the turkey. You don't give the gospel. For me, that's disappointing. I'm sorry if I'm rude, but that is a great chance to share our love. Supporting people, giving food for the people is tremendous. I, I love it. I do it even every single day. But that should be a tool to proclaim the good news for the lost. And these people will not come back again until uh, another year comes, until another Thanksgiving comes. They will not come to the church because they, we have not given them Jesus. They have given them turkey and they will come for the turkey. They will not come for the Jesus for every week. So I think we have to go and send every single day. It should be the church's main priority. That's where the church grows, prayer and sending and going. I hope you have been equally encouraged and challenged by Alayu's story. As always, there is so much more to say, to ask and to discover. But to wrap it up, I wanted to know what the future plans are and how people can support and even get involved with Global Call. If you feel like God is prompting you to act, then please check out the link in the podcast description. And if not, then please join us in prayer for our brothers and sisters. Now, let's hear one more time from Alayu. It's just a start. We have distributed up to 100,000 Bibles in the last 27 years. 
But still, the church is exploding in Ethiopia and uh, in South Sudan. We need more Bibles anyways. There is no day that you say Bible is enough. So we have to have Bibles every single day to reach the average people group. So your prayers is appreciated. We have three major languages, Amharic, Oromo, and Tigrinya. I think the Bible is translated to 25 languages in Ethiopia, but the major languages are Oromo and Tigrinya. There is a website that I can send you, so they can go there and donate for Bibles. Uh, and if anyone is interested to go to Ethiopia with me in one of the training times, and we can go together and distribute Bibles, it's open. They can be with me when we distribute the Bibles. They can also do training, whatever. Uh, we can partner in every way. And Sudan and Uganda and South Sudan, we can use the English Bible if resources are available. And we are buying the Bibles from the Bible Society of Ethiopia. We can get, by last 2022, I have purchased 4,000 Bibles from the Bible Society. My vision for 2024 is... I'm working to send 10,000 Bibles to 10,000 homes, unreached homes. I, I, I'm not convicted yet to send Bibles to the Christians because they, they understand the value. They might pay for that. But I am convinced that we have to bring 10,000 Bibles to 10,000 unreached homes so that we can have an access to share our faith. As I've said, uh, they ship from UK and they have in their stores, but we can purchase the Bibles locally. Shipping is difficult in most of the countries. They charge you tax or something like that. So we don't want the common shipping. But the Bible Society sells the Bible six to eight dollars per Bible. They can they, one they they help us in prayers to pray for the persecuted church in Ethiopia, in Sudan, and Syria. We have also done some ministry in Syria and Egypt. We have connections in Egypt, and we are doing leadership training there. So the East African region is a volatile region in many ways. Al-Shabaab is there, Al-Qaeda is there, Muslim countries are surrounding, especially Ethiopia. We have to be aggressive anyways, in any means, to bring heaven. To. They can pray for our church in Ethiopia and they can support in our church planting efforts. They can support Bibles. They, they can support persecuted families. The one who was burned down, pastor burned down with five kids and his wife. And they don't have credit cards there. They don't have anything, especially the pastors. They they leave the check after check from their local church. And uh, when they die, the local church don't care for the family. They struggle even to pay the pastor and they don't have the resources to help the family. They love the family. They want to help, but they don't have the resources. So we can help families to get a sustainable means of income. Sometimes we buy cows, lambs, so that they can breed and sustain. So sometimes we uh, open a small shop and the family continue to strive. We have so many ways that we can help, especially the persecuted church and then the rich people groups. I'm open to any discussion and you can go to globalhall.org and we provide reports when distrib we distribute the Bible, we provide reports and pictures. When we do a widow's persecuted family business, we take pictures, report the progress. We are committed to help and to report. Any Anything helps, anything helps. And the main thing is, in, it's not, I always say, we have to build a relationship before even we do partnership, you know. Relationship, friendship, partnership. One of the things that concerns me right now, I have been in church planting for the last 27 years and very good at church planting. I was doing this church planting in that origin 
and the churches are growing even tripled. The churches are tripled. It might be over 21,000 right now, but discipleship and leadership development is that I'm right now focusing because without discipleship, you cannot sustain the church. You cannot sustain the congregation. Pray for us so that we can make good disciples of Jesus Christ, the good stewards of Jesus Christ, and pray for us in our leadership training so that we can raise up emerging leaders who are missional and visionary. Without missional and visionary leaders, the church cannot go anywhere. Pray for us. We have over 1,500 pastors in our training right now. We want to equip them in the way that they can impact their nations. So pray for our trainings to be effective and pray for our financial constraints that is blocking us to do more in the persecution, do more in Bibles, do more in our leadership training. Your prayers for open door is very key because we cannot do alone. It's not financial issue alone, but we cannot do the kingdom alone. It is a collaborative effect. We need prayers. We need support. The whole world can, can collaborate to do ministry for the whole world. But we have to focus on a region where the Muslim is aggressively wanting to take uh, that region. Very aggressively, they are working through investment. Very aggressively, they are working through education and health to take Ethiopia and that region as Muslim. They want to make that region a Muslim region. Ethiopia is the only country now defending Christianity, and South Sudan was in a conflict for many years. Uh, Sudan is in a conflict right now, and 99% are Muslims. Somalia is Muslim, and we are in the tip of Middle East, and Djibouti, Tunisia, Morocco, Muslim countries. And we started to send church planters in these regions from Ethiopia. Ethiopia has to be a sending nation for that region. Because it stayed as a Christian nation, even though we have that syncretism in the Orthodox Church defended Ethiopia not to be Muslim long years ago. When Muslims came to Egypt, Tunisia, Morocco, they came the same time to Ethiopia and Ethiopia defended Christianity. And still we have that hope. And we are, as Ethiopian, to send church planters. I have sent a church planter in South Sudan from Ethiopia. We have started churches in uh, Djibouti. So we have to be ascending. God has spoken Ethiopia to be ascending nation. And we have to pray. And instead of just receiving, Ethiopia has been receiving from foreign countries like America, UK, and other countries, receiving missionaries to plant churches. Now we have to be, we are in a stage to send to other nations. And we have begun to send to other nations. Pray for us to be ascending church especially the Ethiopian church, to be ascending church. So that I have probably 25 church planters that want to go to these surrounding nations, but I don't have the resources. I cannot send them without a resource. I have sent uh, a church planter in Nigeria, and uh, life in Nigeria is very tough. It has to be double than Ethiopia. If you send a church planter, it has to be even 10 times, 10 times in Nigeria, five times in Juba, uh, South Sudan. We have the church planters, the workers are ready. Always we are in short of workers. So we have to pray for the workers. We have to pray for the resources so that we can send church planters in the neighboring nations. You've listened to God on the Move, Lausanne Movement Podcast, where we want to listen to mission stories from the global church. Through listening to what God is doing around the world, we hope to encourage and challenge the global church to faithful obedience to the Great Commission. 
So let's accelerate global mission together toward a vision for the gospel for every person, disciple-making churches for every people and place, Christ-like leaders in every church and sector, and kingdom impact in every sphere of society. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, be sure to subscribe and follow us for more.